You're listening to The Luxury Item, the podcast on the business of luxury and the people and companies that are shaping the future of the luxury industry. Here's your host, Scott Kerr. After years of success, Switzerland's luxury watch industry was hit hard by the COVID-19 pandemic and the subsequent economic crunch. Many Swiss watchmakers faced an existential threat in 2020 during the violent economic cyclone of the pandemic, which crushed travel and luxury sales in most of the world. Stores stayed closed for months and Chinese tourists no longer flocked to luxury shopping hubs like Paris. Figures from the Federation of the Swiss Watch Industry shows that Swiss watch exports for 2020 totaled just under 16.9 billion Swiss francs, a 21.8% drop from 2019. However, luxury watch sales are showing resilience even as the global coronavirus pandemic continues to rage. Whether new or used, demand for high-priced watches continue to at least keep pace, if not surpass, expectations in some markets. Brands with a strong presence in mainland China have especially benefited from a sustained rebound in demand. My guest today on The Luxury Item is Francois Xavier Hautier. He is president of Ulysse Nardin Americas. Ulysse Nardin is one of the most historic Swiss luxury watch companies. Founded in 1846, Ulysse Nardin became world-renowned for manufacturing some of the most superb marine chronometers in the industry, which have become collector's items around the world. FX joined Ulysse Nardin as President Americas in 2018. He spent the first 15 years of his career in Russia, successfully working in different industries including FMCG and luxury. For the past 10 years, he has worked for the LVMH Group, First as general manager for Tag Heuer Russia, where he transformed the once unknown brand into a market leader, a position it still holds today. He was then recruited by Parfums Christian Dior as general manager for Russia and relocated to Paris headquarters in 2015 as commercial director Europe. Welcome to the luxury item FX. Hi, Scott. Thank you for inviting me to luxury item today. Again, thank you for coming on. You know, you've worked in several different industries, how did you develop your interest in fine watches? Yes, I've been indeed working in different industries and I came back to watches three years ago when uh, Patrick Pregnot, the CEO, and Kering invited me uh, back to, uh, to watches. Um, it's, you know, usually when you meet watch people, they will always tell you a personal story. Uh, when I was a kid, I saw nice people having a watch, uh, you know, just my family. I remember... Um, as a kid, it's advertising with Tag Heuer and Steve McQueen, which I found just amazing. Yeah. Um, gentleman driver. Um, also, when my dad came back from uh, the first Gulf War, uh, his officers offered him uh, a Breitling. He uh, was a pilot. Uh, so I've seen watches here and there. And, and someday, uh, Tag Heuer, in fact, gave me a phone call and proposed me to join. Um, and I would say it's kind of and I never thought about it before. And suddenly it was like, oh, this is so great. And I left the FMCG business um, to move into watches. Um, Did you find that transition easy going into it? Uh, yes and no. I mean, when you are in FMCG, usually you work with numbers. Uh, your distribution is, is huge. It's all about scaling uh, a product. Um, when you are in uh, watches, then um, your own opinion, your own emotions, your uh, communication skills or simply the relationship you build with your retailers and your partners and your customers, this is more important than just scaling a business. Um, 
if I find it easy, I would say yes, because you know it's an industry driven by passion, like fashion, and um, and yes, just like uh, it was incredible. After I moved around in different jobs again, but I'm so happy to be back to to the watch industry because you meet incredible people. Well, Lee Nardin ha has really a rich history that dates back to uh, like the mid 1800s with its roots in uh, the nautical world. Can you share with the listeners a little bit about the history of the brand? Yes, it's indeed a beautiful story. Uh, it's an odyssey in a way. Um, Mr. Ulis Nardin, uh, watchmaker, you are in 1846 in the mountains in Switzerland, uh, and he created his own workshop. Um, with his sons, they were uh, obsessed by precision, reliability, and uh, they were in fact doing some research and development, uh, which is a very hype world, but I'm talking about the 19th century. This is how they entered into the um, business of uh, marine chronometers. You know, we are in a time uh, late uh, 19th century when shipping uh, and transportation and trade uh, dominate the world. Uh, so they went into this uh, industry and uh, in the beginning of the 20th century, Ulysse Nardin is supplying over 50 admiralties plus merchant companies all over the world. For example, in 1905, Ulysse started to supply uh, the US Navy with marine chronometers for submarines and uh, torpedo boats. So you're right, Scott, there is this connection with the sea, um, with navigation. Um, of course, uh, with the radar and technology and laser, after the Second World War, our marine chronometers were not uh, in demand anymore by the navies. Um, then we moved into watches. We were already doing watches for engineers, for doctors, always kind of a B2B business. And um, in 1983, uh, a businessman, Rolf Schneider, made the acquisition of Lee Snardin, invested a lot of money in the manufacture, in uh, uh, hydrology. You may have heard of our astronomical watches. Of course the Freak, which is this yes. iconic watch. And um, in 2014, uh, Kering Group made the acquisition of Ulysse Nardin. It was kind of uh, uh, secret well-kept, uh, if you want, and made the acquisition. And you had a few years ago, a new team um, went third in, uh, at the helm of Ulysse Nardin, and now revamping the brand. What did Kering Group see in the, in the brand that was so unique that saw, they saw that it fit into their portfolio? I think that luxury groups wanted to have uh, watch companies um, just because it's uh, like jewelry, it's something incredible. It's uh, all the passion, all the knowledge. Um, so Caring uh, Group probably, and I was not there at, their t at this time, they wanted to have this uh, uh, amazing brand, the manufacturers, the capacity to produce your own movement, uh, which is very rare. Um, people may not know that. Uh, in our industry. Uh, so this Nardin was also the last brand, the last amazing hydrology brand uh, kind of available. So uh, Kering took over the company. Um, and now really it's, uh, it's kind of a business case, if you want, of making a 175 uh, year old manufacturer uh, being relevant, uh, relevant for, uh, of course, our loyal customers already or club, mm -hmm. but also new, younger generation. And this is what we are doing right now. I've, I think there are a bunch of celebrities that um, 
Actually, they brag about wearing uh, Ulysse Nardin. They do. They, Will Smith, maybe? I think it was Will Smith. The interesting thing is that usually people ask you, oh, do you work with influencers to make your brand very big or to... In fact, we don't. Um, the best influencer at UN is uh, the customer. Um, and um, customers bring customers. So we, yes, of course, we have some... I saw some pictures on Google with The Rock uh, having... A, a, Tourbillon, I think, of ours. We saw Stallone uh, with the Tourbillon. We saw Will Smith, uh, Jeff Bezos as a dual time. Uh, you know, we're doing events or with our partners or retailers, but they buy their own watches. We have nothing to do with that. And we, in fact, we are very proud of it. Um, and then you have this new generation coming to this data, not because they saw the watch on an influencer uh, or a YouTuber, you know, but simply because uh, they are in the know. When you have like a few watches, when you understand watchmaking, uh, at certain points you enter into our club. This is the way it works. Yeah, and you joined Ulysse Nardin as president of Americas in 2018. So, what was your main focus, or what is your main focus when you joined the brand? The main focus, uh, Scott, is the sustainability of the brand um, and the desirability of the brand. Um, so when I joined the company, as I said, it's a business case. It's okay. Ulysse Nana is this 175-year-old company uh, this year. Um, what's next? So what, we, what we've been doing mostly was reorganizing the distribution, working on the supply, um, streamlining the collections, recreate scarcity um, in order to recreate traction on Ulysse Nana. So, you know, I'm not speaking right now about all the glamour of uh, the boat shows and, uh, and um, some luxury events we do for club. I'm really talking now about uh, reorganizing our business. So the last three years, that's what we've been doing, mm -hmm. pretty much reorganizing our distribution um, and our communication in the United States in order to make sure that the brand will continue to grow in a sustainable way. Yeah. And I remember you, um, a couple of years ago, you had, talking about the Freak Watch, remember you had this amazing campaign that had these beautifully arresting images of a great white shark swimming through the streets of New York, and I think it was Shanghai too. What was the whole strategy behind that campaign? Um, so our CMO has designed this campaign um, because it means a lot, in fact. Uh, <laughs> if, if you know uh, watch people, they will tell you that it's not us somehow. Is, uh, is a freak in the industry. <laughs> and we have the freak anyway. Uh, I would say the shark, uh, the great white shark is also a freak in a way. Uh, right. And uh, by freak, I mean this 19th century meaning of it. Um, kind of a monster that you can fear if you don't understand the shark. But when you understand the shark, you love the shark. It's a story of uh, Dracula and... Uh, <laughs> and Dr. Right. Frankenstein creature. So um, I think Uli Starla is this kind of the freak in the industry. Uh, we may not be so well known, but when you, you know Uli Starla very well, then you join the club and you become our loyal, um, loyal club member. Also, <laughs> there is this idea of two universes, nature and the city, basically, uh, where we live, the city, and where we are as humans, and also the fact that we are so connected to the sea um, that there is this connection between what should not be the shark in the city. Yeah, it was a beautiful campaign. Um, like other companies, 
carrying own Swiss watch brands were impacted in a big way by the crisis. Um, and in its recent Swiss watch industry 2020 study, Deloitte said, you know, as the country's third largest exporter and a pillar of the Swiss economy, the Swiss watch industry will adapt and recover. Regardless of the how the pandemic plays out, the watch industry will look back on the year 2020 as the year of accelerated transformation. How do you look back at last year for Elise Nardon and the industry? Accelerated transformation is the word. Um, you know, this crisis is interesting, Scott. Um, if you think about the COVID, um, when, um, when you get sick with it, if you have a weak point uh, in your body, this is where you suffer the most. And I would say in our industry, it's the same. If the fundamentals are not strong in one company, this is when you suffer. So what we, what I would say about this now, uh, now that we are getting out of um, this COVID crisis and the shutdown is that our fundamentals are very strong. We have a manufacturer we control as a production of spare parts, uh, research, innovation, um, we have a club of loyal customers and they are still there. And by the way, we are growing in sellout, which is interesting. Um, we have um, a strong distribution with the best partners. So our fundamentals are very strong. Where we have been also accelerating last year, um, it's simply deciding that we can uh, continue doing uh, our business and speak to our customers with less distribution we also must be better in omni-channel, so improve our digital mm -hmm. uh, experience or digital coverage. Uh, so we've been accelerating in digitalization, but as I said, we are pretty strong with the fundamentals. So we've been through this crisis. I think the company has been through uh, different wars and world wars. The company has been through the 20, uh, 1929 <laughs> crisis, mm -hmm. has been through Many other crises, Ulysses is still there. Um, so we are very confident in the future. Watches and Wonders in 2020 was canceled and all, you know, pivoted to a digital showcase. How did that work it out for the brand? Yes, I know Ulysses is part of an ecosystem like some other brands. Um, and this ecosystem has uh, this yearly event when we gather our fans, we gather our partners, and we show our novelties. It's like a fashion show. Uh, so we are part of it. Uh, this year, it will be, you may know, a virtual show, mm -hmm. um, which is at plus and minus because, you know, a watch, you want to see it. Your partners, you want to drink champagne with, uh, right. with him or her. So we have this frustration of not going to Switzerland and not meeting physically with our friends. Um, having said that, the show going online allows a lot more people all over the globe, all the watch aficionados can participate to the show. And I think that's amazing. So we'll participate uh, to the show, of course, uh, but what I'm really um, looking forward to is to receiving um, these watches and the prototype in the USA in order to showcase them uh, to our friends. This past summer, you launched an e-commerce platform and started selling direct to consumers in the US and the UK. In the UK. Was it, I'm assuming this was in the response to the lockdown or was e-commerce already in the works yeah, I mean, it's a good question. And in fact, it's um, 
our e-commerce was uh, already at work. Um, so I would say even been late probably compared to many uh, other brands. So no, it's like kind of a coincidence. We would have uh, launched this e-commerce anyway. And the e-commerce for us is a, a better way to service uh, the customers, uh, talking about omnichannel. And uh, here again, uh, to be able to, uh, to be purchased like anywhere you are. Um, so simply, it's like, uh, I think it's a must have, you know, in 2021 to have an e-commerce. <laughs> right. Uh, so there is no intention on our side uh, to develop the e-commerce in a way that is taking business from our wholesale, because we strongly believe that um, the store, the flagship is the location where you can try a watch, wear a watch and discuss also with uh, watch experts. It's just an additional service we provide. And it's interesting, the auction houses also made innovative, uh, innovative adjustments in the crisis, moving their watch auctions to online platforms. You know, Sotheby's, Phillips and Christie's all achieved great success with their virtual jewelry and watch auctions. You know, high income earners who did not spend money on vacations were fueling demand in watches that cost thousands of dollars and sometimes six figures. Did you at least not in... Um, have any pieces making into any of those auctions? Uh, I'm pretty amazed, like you, with these auctions, um, the money, in fact, paid for some of uh, uh, some incredible watches. This is uh, incredible. Um, and I think uh, Christie's, for example, did an amazing job in uh, switching to virtual. And here again, like for Watch and Wonders, um, they managed to reach a lot more people and a new audience. Very interesting. Um, to answer the question, we are not really in the business of auctions, uh, meaning that uh, I remember I was visiting Christie's in the Rockefeller Center uh, two years ago, and I saw some freaks uh, for Christie's auction. Of course, very broad um, because it's, um, it's an amazing uh, selection they have usually, but we are not too much into it. I will tell you that we do auctions in the USA, uh, but it's more to give. Uh, and not to take if you want. We have auctions planned for uh, non-profit and charities, especially the one we support, um, one uh, for the US veterans mm -hmm. and one for marine biology and research. And um, we put some of our watches in auction and we then give all the money to this non-profit on specific projects we are part of. It's a very different approach that I've, that I've heard. Totally, and uh, I mean, we are, we are, as I said, we are glad to see a UN at an auction at Christie's, very happy about it. But we won't participate in a way that uh, to try to get the value higher in order to create some hype. We prefer to put our efforts and our money for our club members, uh, our collectors, and our nonprofits. Um, you know, like other crises that we've been through in the past, the pandemic has Im impacted attitudes and behaviors of luxury consumers. You know, they become more thoughtful about their purchases and they turn to brands that are established, have a strong heritage, comforting, everlasting. Do you see that with the uh, least not in position to speak to this particular consumer? I think we do. Um, you're right. Uh, customers today are over-informed um, and but we are very well um, uh, positioned for these customers. We have, as I said, 175 years uh, of uh, history, of heritage. Um, we have a very loyal fan club. Uh, it's interesting to see that 
when we have a new watch coming, our collectors are coming, or um, our friends, or collectors, or customers are calling the stores to, to have it first. So there is a very loyal base uh, behind Ulysse Tardin. Um, so really, we, uh, we are ready for, for all these customers. It's interesting to see that during the crisis, I mean, last year, the same for fashion, um, there is a concentration. Um, the big names are kind of taking the bigger share of business. Some other brands are maybe less legitimate um, or newer with less heritage um, are suffering right now. Uh, and I think that the success of UN uh, the last month, uh, the last year, uh, is a proof that when you do a lot of research on what you want to buy, you find a list now. Uh, and we have, I think, again, the fundamentals to uh, continue growing and continue recruiting customers. Now for us, it's not only about the loyal customer at Ulysse Tardin. Now it's about being relevant for a customer who is 30 year old uh, entrepreneur, startupper. And uh, this is where we have to, uh, uh, to do a little bit more efforts, I would say. And the luxury watch market has been pretty resilient through all this at the end of the day. So how do you explain that resilience? Is it more about collector passion or are there other factors, factors that you would name? Oh, my God, Scott, it's a wide question. There are so many factors. <laughs> I, could, uh, I could go with a bullet point answer. One, one uh, I, uh, I, I truly believe in uh, because I meet my customers. We, with my team, we have so many interactions with them. Uh, what I notice is that a Louis Nardin customer or customer for Iorology is uh, not a faint hearted person. He's sure of himself or herself. They know that they are successful. They know that they will be successful. So somehow, um, I see that this, this resilience as a result of people who are successful, self-confident. And then you, when you know that everything is fine for you or will be fine, yes, you go and buy uh, a freak or a skeleton tourbillon, uh, blast. Um, you can spend the money because you know you will do good. So I think that this crisis and the resilience of the watch industry is a result of people being very self-confident in their future. It's a self-gratification. Um, that's, that's the way I see it. People yeah. win, people are successful, people are launching new ventures, people are confident in the future, uh, then they can buy early startup. If you are in trouble, if you're not sure of yourself, you won't go to early startup and spend the money. Just like the anchor logo, it just you know, the watch makes you feel anchored in, in the <laughs> position you are. <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. Yes, exactly. You feel uh, straight. You have, uh, you have this weight. Uh, yes, I know your metaphor is pretty good. I just didn't think about it, but uh, I like it. Um, you know, the average price of a Swiss watch has risen continuously in recent years, which impacts the average watch buyer and even the entry, you know, of course, the entry level market. The pandemic likely made the situation worse. Uh, is the industry disconnecting completely from the entry level consumer now? How do you balance, you know, value and fair price to lure some of these younger customers? You know, in the industry, you find uh, mechanical watches below $100 and some others over $100,000. So you really, I think, have a choice. Uh, also, the uh, connected watches are taking a big chunk of the business below $1,500. 
and we are not there at all. It's not our business. So uh, I don't think that the industry is connected. Uh, for sure, at least now, I don't think we are. I think on the contrary, when we discuss pricing um, with our HQ, uh, it's all about uh, a fair price strategy and having the best value proposal um, in everything we do. And once again, when you are a customer for a Swiss mechanical manufacturer watch, um, you know very well the industry. You know what you're buying and you have the know-how, the heritage, uh, the production in Switzerland. We offer five-year warranty with uh, each of our watches. So you really buy uh, an incredible uh, object. This has a price. Are you finding interesting young customers for uh, UN? Yes, uh, we do. In fact, we, uh, I think the growth, uh, the engine of our growth right now, uh, worldwide, is a, is a 25, 35-year-old customer. Uh, going to Listana because, uh, as you said, they are really looking for this brand's position with innovation, but also heritage. Uh, this younger customer has been purchasing already a few brands, a few watches, and when they want to go into the club of uh, the true horological, high horology companies, uh, they always meet with Listana at some point. So today, our customers, especially in the United States, especially for the Skeleton X and the Freak X, customers will be in the early 30s. In that Deloitte watch report I was talking about earlier, it also concluded that the Swiss watch industry, quote unquote, missed the boat when it comes to smart watches. And Apple sold more Apple watches than sold by all the Swiss watchmakers combined. Do you agree with that assessment by Deloitte? Um, you know, it's got some brands, uh, some Swiss brands uh, are trying or joined the connected watch um, uh, theme, you know. At least now we don't want. Uh, I think that, I, don't, I would not say that this has not agree with assessment, uh, Scott. Uh, I think simply some brands like, uh, like us, we are in a different boat. We have different intentions, different values and purposes. Uh, it's more about the experience. So if we are not in this uh, um, connected watch business, do we suffer? I don't think so. We are just different. You know, the pre-owned luxury watch marketplace is really hot right now. What do you attribute to that, to that growth uh, of, of pre-owned luxury watches? And do you think it's sustainable going forward? Yes, I do. It is sustainable and it's, uh, uh, it's pretty great for the industry. It also means that uh, the watches uh, are timeless. You don't want to watch, you don't want to consume a watch. Uh, you buy a watch and it can have another life. Um, I don't know how you purchase your cars. <laughs> if you go to a, to a car dealership, you will see that they have a huge CPO uh, selection and the CPO can allow you uh, sometimes to collect cars. It can allow you to have a better car than the one you could buy new. And if you trust um, the dealership, you will trust also the warranty. You will trust the quality of your pre-owned car. I think for watches, it is the same. Uh, I don't mind uh, the CPO uh, business, as we call it. I think that business should be better organized. The experience uh, should be also improved. So trust between uh, the seller and the customer could be a lot better. Um, and that's all. And I think it's a great business. And the CPO, in fact, will uh, support also the development of um, many watch companies whose job is to find 
this new patent to develop a new design uh, to work in more innovation to really continue to create a differentiation if you want between what we are launching as a novelties and what we've been doing before you know you're talking before that at the auctions that you usually give the proceeds to um, some causes and areas that you um, that you're involved with and i think sustainability and environmental protection is is important um, especially when it comes to the oceans that seems to be a a major issue for Elise Nadam. Do certain projects kind of stand out to you? We have many projects uh, in the matter. Uh, I mean, you know that Kering is very uh, innovative and leading in uh, sustainability. Yeah, they're the leader. Yeah. Totally. And uh, we at Ulysse Nardin, uh, we also are uh, very excited by all the possibilities offered by uh, sustainability. For example, one of uh, the projects we have in the company is uh, what we call the circular economy, if you want. Um, for, for point of sales materials and a gift we have, uh, everything comes from recycled. So we would buy um, recycled plastics, for example, collected from uh, the sea or from fishing nets. They would be transformed into parts um, or they would be transformed into uh, objects like uh, displays and objects for the stores. So we try to go um, further into circular economy to reuse what we use and uh, to take um, uh, raw materials from, uh, uh, from recycling. I think that's amazing. I think luxury industry, again, must lead uh, a trend. And it's a very positive trend. On a more American, just, on the, uh, just for the Americas, uh, it's also a matter of um, um, responsibility, if you want. We believe that we start that the sea is our territory. This is coming from our past, of course, um, supplying navies with marine kilometers. Mm -hmm. um, and with, because of this connection with the sea, we want to do something good for it. Uh, you may have heard about O-Search. It's a major uh, nonprofit. They are doing uh, explorations. They work with fishermen and with scientists in order to study great white sharks with a very practical use for me medical research, for science. Um, and of course, for protection of uh, the ecosystem. And we are very engaged with them. We work together. We have a lot of projects uh, coming with them. Uh, it's very exciting when you are working for Kering and Ulysse Tardin to wake up in the morning and you know that you have a call with a scientist who is right now uh, in Nova Scotia doing some research on a great white shark. Uh, it makes your day. Uh, and I think that's not only sustainability, is something that we are responsible uh, to do better as a company. It's also a great way to motivate ourselves to do the job uh, we do, and also to engage our customers uh, in the exploration, in the adventure. So what can we expect for uh, Ulysse Nardan in 2021? You can expect a lot. Uh, we are celebrating our 175 years anniversary. Um, interesting to see that the company never stopped operating, producing timepieces for almost two centuries. Pretty fascinated by, uh, by how old we are, while when you look at our timepieces, the innovation, the research um, we put in them, uh, sustainability projects, or advertising, as you mentioned with the shark, how everything is so disruptive. 
so I think it's pretty interesting to communicate this year on our heritage at the same time we continue being a disruptor in the industry. Of course, uh, we will bring some uh, uh, new timepieces this year. I can't tell you much more about it, but uh, with Washington Wonders uh, in April 2021, uh, we'll reveal a few, uh, a few novelties, and I think that it will uh, shake the market again. Wow, that's really exciting. So my final question is the luxury item question, which I ask all my guests. If you were stranded on a deserted island and you could have only one luxury item with you, what would that luxury item be? It can't be any form of air transportation to get you off that deserted island or any kind of anything that requires mobile service. What would that one luxury item be? It's a tough one. <laughs> um, I'm uh, inclined to say a bottle of whiskey, <laughs> a Gibson guitar. Um, oh, nice. um, but seriously, more seriously, I think uh, you will say this guy is so biased. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I will probably uh, choose um, a Ulis Nana watch or even a pocket watch from uh, the beginning of last century. Because if I'm on a uh, stranded on a deserted island. I may need some navigation if I want to 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 get away. And uh, the best thing you need is a navigation instrument. So it probably take a watch. Yeah, and I think also with the pocket watch, you could have some uh, reflective abilities to reflect off the sun, just in case a plane or light a fire, or if a plane happens to be flying over, and you, if you want to stay, you'll stay. Otherwise, you could flash the uh, the plane flying over with the reflection. My God, my God, yes, good point. So much use. It's interesting <laughs> because today people buy a watch. Uh, we said that it's gratification, it's a pleasure to collect, it's a beautiful object uh, to show yourself your own confidence. Uh, but a watch used to be a tool. And I think it's cool to remember that mostly watches were used for uh, calculating how much fuel you have left in your, left in your car, on your airplane. It was used for navigation. Uh, we did a lot of watches for uh, doctors, engineers, uh, scientists, on top of, of course, the marine kilometers we've been doing. Uh, I love this idea of uh, having a luxury good being a tool if I'm on an island. That's a good answer. Francois Xavier Hautier, uh, President of Ulysse Nardin Americas, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was, it was really informative, uh, and I really appreciate it. Thank you, Scott. Thank you to the team at Luxury Item. It was a pleasure answering your questions, and I hope that I give a, a fresh insight on a, our beautiful industry and our beautiful manufacturer. That's it for this episode of the Luxury Item Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this useful and entertaining, I would be really grateful if you can share it with a friend or colleague. I would love it if you subscribe so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other listeners find us. The Luxury Item Podcast is a production of Silvertone Consulting. I'm your host, Scott Kerr. Until next time.